to the Tech Policy Podcast. I'm Evan Schwarztrapper, your host. On today's show, what role should telephone companies and others in the telecom industry play in national security and surveillance? As the Edward Snowden leaks of 2013 showed, uh, telecom companies are are really wrapped up in surveillance. Uh, In that case, they were indiscriminately collecting information in bulk on uh, millions of Americans. And while that program has uh, been reformed in some ways with the passage of the USA Freedom Act, there's still a lot of questions about what the role of the telecom industry in surveillance will look like going forward, especially as it relates to foreign surveillance and what the NSA does overseas. So joining me to discuss this is Mika Oyang, Vice President of the National Security Program at Third Way. Mika, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. So you've got a new paper out examining this relationship and making recommendations on how industries should work with government and what's appropriate and what's not. So give us a a quick synopsis of the paper and what the, the things that really stood out to you were. Yeah, so I took a look at electronic surveillance reform over time and what the relationship has been between the companies and the government. And in both a legal and literal sense, companies, technology companies, telecommunications companies, are the gatekeeper between the government and individuals in terms of the privacy of their data. They physically hold it, and the government has to come to the companies and ask for it, or at least that's the way it's supposed to work. And that's the way that it's worked going back to... The, uh, just after World War II, when the government would come to the old telecommunications companies, the Ma Bells of the world, and right. ask them for information. Um, but as we've seen recently, that relationship, that gatekeeper relationship, has been eroded, and it's causing tremendous uh, opposition in the relationship between the government and the companies. And if we don't change it, it's going to be bad for both sides. So what does the current relationship look like? Uh, As I mentioned, the USA Freedom Act took the bulk collection of the metadata, the duration of a call, who you call, but not the content. That collection has been taken away from the NSA's hands and put back in the hands of the telecoms, and they are responsible for turning over the data as needed. Um, So that relationship is still intact, but it's fairly different when it comes to foreign surveillance. And you pointed out that U.S. companies have presences overseas, and when the government asks for that data, it's different than when it asks for data on Verizon customers in the United States. Right. So there's two problems that we see with the um, the way that we deal with foreigners' data um, outside the United States. One is that national security professionals keep saying that the Constitution stops at the water's edge, right, that the foreigners don't have constitutional rights. What that does is it makes foreign customers of American tech companies very nervous about how the U.S. government views their privacy rights and whether or not it's just a free-for-all with regards to their data, um, which it shouldn't be. The U.S. government should have a reason to look. They don't need to look at the little old grandmother's grocery list in Italy or, right, the, right, the, like a particular right candy store maker in Germany or whatever, right? There, there are people in particular that you might be interested in, but the government should have a reason. They don't need to look at everyone. Um, And the second problem comes from the stories written um, based on things that Edward Snowden was bringing forward, and without getting into the details of what the government does or doesn't do, um, those stories left the distinct impression among tech companies that the U.S. government was getting into their data and their products without permission overseas. Um, And that comes from the ways that the authorities run to the president um, under the Constitution, which is his commander-in-chief, he has very wide-ranging authority to do what he deems necessary 
to collect information to secure the country outside the United States. Um, but it comes with very little oversight, and it comes with completely opaque rules as far as the public is concerned. It's interesting that you say the Constitution stops at the water's edge because um, while we have reformed domestic surveillance to some degree, that foreign question is still a big one. And that has led to things like cross-border data flows being jeopardized. Uh, We've talked about the safe harbor agreement on the show before. It was an agreement that was struck in the year 2000, which basically led or allowed for data to flow freely across the Atlantic from North America to the EU um, on the assumption that it would be adequately protected from indiscriminate or warrantless surveillance. And an Austrian law student, Max Schrems, sued because uh, as a result of the Edward Snowden leaks, it was kind of clear that it wasn't being adequately protected. And we have a new agreement now, but that hasn't really addressed any of the, the underlying concerns. Those concerns are over foreign surveillance, about what we do overseas, and how we interact with our European customers of American tech companies. Is it fair to say that the the paradigm shifted with the Snowden leaks? So before 2013, companies were kind of just agree to do whatever because it wasn't in the public light and they didn't have that economic incentive to be adversarial? Because uh, we've seen now Apple taking a stand against the FBI. It seems like companies are much more likely to be resisting these requests than they used to be. I think Snowden really changed the volume of the opposition and the emotion behind it. Um, prior to Snowden, companies were starting to push back on the government. Um, when we talk about the electronic surveillance program known as 702, some people know it as PRISM or Upstream Collection, right. um, the, com- the reason that we have that program is that companies were already starting to push back against the government. The Bush administration in 2005 revealed that they had been getting information from companies without any court order. And companies were starting to resist that. They were starting to say, look, I, I can't just do it on your say-so. I need something more. And so Congress passed 702 so that a court would then say, okay, I've looked at the order. This order is in compliance with the law. Okay, now companies, you can hand it over. Um, and so, But it was sort of a quiet, process-oriented objection. And the companies, I think, had some nervousness about that process, but they said, okay, it's a lawful process, I'm going to comply. What Snowden revealed is that in spite of that process, there were concerns that the government was going around it to just take whatever they wanted. So as one tech company executive said to me, the front door makes a mockery of the back door. Why am I handing over information at the, you know, in pursuant to a lawful order if they're sneaking around the back? Right. Um, And that really changed the dynamic between companies and the government. And so every time Comey or another law enforcement executive comes up and says, look, what has changed? We could get information under the last operating system and can't get information under this one. Why can't we just go back? What he's not acknowledging is that the Snowden revelations happened in between. And as a result of that, the companies are much more adversarial. And of course they have, and I can, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, companies like Apple, two-thirds of their customers are overseas. Um, every major American tech company has a major Ameri- uh, economic interest overseas. And while Americans might be have one attitude about surveillance, a lot of people in this country probably think, well, I've got nothing to hide, or as long as they're stopping terrorists, that's all wonderful. But there are people overseas who are much more privacy conscious, especially in countries like Germany, who have a history that uh, informs that 
those concerns. And you've made specific proposals on how to handle this problem because while we mentioned the USA Freedom Act, which protects Americans from indiscriminate warrantless surveillance by the, the NSA, at least in terms of their phone metadata, foreigners are not protected by that act. So starting with extending that process you talked about to overseas intelligence, what would that look like? So under 702 itself, um, when it, in the United States, what happens is when the U.S. government wants information um, that a U.S. company has on people communicating with people inside the United States, they have to go ask for it. And they have to say, look, we think that these selectors, email addresses, IP addresses, whatever it is, we have a reason to believe that they're in communication with known terrorist actors or these known terrorist actors overseas are, in, are talking inside the United States. And they get an order for that. Um, one of the things that the proposal would do is say, look, when you are looking for data from foreigners overseas and that data is held by an American company, you should serve an order on the American company that goes through a court so that a court, an independent court, is looking at that and saying, okay, yes, that you have said that there are reasons and there are particular selectors. You're not just taking the entire stream. And that is a level of process that you owe because American companies overseas, under the law, have rights. They are in a legal sense, U.S. persons. And so you can't just say, well, just because they're operating overseas, they don't have any rights and I can just go rifle through their data when I feel like it. You owe them some additional protection. Would those courts be in the United States then? So if it's if, if the NSA is trying to surveil a foreigner through a U.S. company in their country, that court order, that court process would still happen in the United States? Yes. And is, is, that a, is that kind of a problem in that one of the issues we're talking about is a lack of trust in the American process and a lack of trust in American companies? So how if, if, if a person in Spain knows that their data that they have through Facebook or an American company that's stored in Spain or wherever it's stored, that that entire process of whether it's allowed to be surveilled happens in the United States, does that kind of leave open that? that problem of trust. Maybe maybe it should go through the foreign courts or courts in those countries. So what's surprising to a lot of people, I, um, when you look at oversight of intelligence activities, the United States actually has the most robust oversight mechanisms of any country. And it's sort of surprising to think about that because the NSA is so aggressive about what they can collect. It's this problem the NSA is the most capable, but they also have the most protection. So in a lot of other countries, their intelligence services don't go to court. They don't have legislative oversight. There's no independent check on what that government does. In a lot of those cases, they're just not as capable as the United States, so people aren't worried because they think, well, those guys can't really do very much. But as they get more capable, you see other countries. You look at countries like China and Russia and what they do without oversight, the United States is actually much more protective. And we have all these inspectors general reports and ways in which if someone was really trying to abuse the system, there are many places where they would get caught. So the whole international structure of ensuring privacy depends on individual sovereign countries inside their countries ensuring that there are sufficient privacy protections. And that's the most that we can do. It's going to be impossible to say the NSA is going to go to the court in, say, 
Romania or someplace like that and say, hey, here are these bad guys that we are interested in in your country and hand, American companies should hand over the data they have on those. It's like it's tipping too much to foreigners. But inside the United States, we have very strong controls compared to other countries on our intelligence services. I know it makes people really nervous because it all happens in secret and there's a tremendous fear that they could be bad actors. One of the things that you have to do when you're worried about that is ensure that there are enough oversight mechanisms and checks that if the government tries to abuse it and either take the data from everyone or target people for a prohibited purpose like political opposition or whatever, that that gets caught in the system. You bring up an important point that the U.S. does have those protections uh, because even though we might not be the worst surveillance offender, there's all this attention on us because of our capability and because of the dominance of American tech companies in that industry. And even if we are better about um, surveillance oversight than France or Russia or China, there's still an economic problem here. And we were talking before the show about how when the Senate Intelligence Committee or the House Intelligence Committee looks at surveillance and decides whether it's adequately overseen or whether protections are adequate, all they're really thinking about is the NSA's equities, as you said, it, or what they need and what they need to do their job. They're not thinking about the fact that uh, you brought up a couple examples in the paper that uh, other countries have actually terminated contracts with American phone companies and look to other companies because they don't trust us anymore. And it has an economic impact. There's a lot of billions of dollars at stake when foreigners lose trust in American products. So it might not matter that we're the, the, the skinniest kid at fat camp because <laughs> people still don't trust us. Absolutely. And that's a huge problem. I think that... In the United States, in this post-9-11 era, we are so focused on terrorism that we really tend to tune out all the other equities. And there is a lot at stake here that's more than just whether or not the NSA itself is just overseen. And so you can't just say, look, because there aren't as many constitutional protections outside the United States, we can just go full range on the president's powers there. There's some things that the government is going to have to do to self-limit to be able to address those other concerns. And it's in the government's interest that American tech companies remain dominant in the global space. It's in the NSA's interest that they remain dominant in the global space. If some Swiss or Czech company winds up being the next Facebook or the next Gmail, that doesn't help American national security professionals at all. Because theoretically, those companies could be a lot more adversarial to American intelligence requests than an American company. Absolutely. And so right now, we have lawful process that allows American tech companies to turn over data of particular people of concern. Um, and we want American tech companies and the public should want the government to identify potential terrorist threats and disrupt them. Nobody wants what happened in Paris to happen in Washington, D.C. or New York. And those are people who are organizing online. Um, but it's about the limitations and the focus and the targeting. When the government is perceived to be just collecting everything in bulk, the potential for abuse is tremendous. And there's also the question if that's even effective. If the haystack is so large, how do you find the needle? Um, I think it's safe to say that we, both uh, French intelligence had info on the Paris attackers before it happened. U.S. intelligence had info on 9-11 before it happened. 
They just didn't know they had it because they have all this information. Now, another one, you make three recommendations. We covered the framework. Another recommendation that I found particularly interesting was about how data are filtered. Mm -hmm. And that's a big issue because some people are much more likely to be sympathetic to national security if they know that the data are being filtered in a way that any personal information or sensitive information um, is being removed and that it's really just targeted surveillance. So how, how would um, allowing companies, how, how would this uh, filtering of data work at the company level? Is it something where the government basically hands over its technology to industry and says, you do this now? So this is similar to what the government, uh, what Congress enacted in the USA Freedom legislation. Right now, it is actually ambiguous, and there's sort of a debate among the experts on exactly how the filtering works under 702, under what we call upstream. The government has said they take information off the internet backbone, and then they filter it, and no one looks at it until it's after the filter. And that's great, and that's important. It means that the government is making some decisions about not looking at the whole haystack, but some subset of it, and That's as they should for both efficiency and privacy. But there is this question about whether or not the entire stream comes into the filter in the first place, and who owns the filter. Does the government own the filter? Does the company own the filter? If the government gets access to the full stream and owns the filter, then their ability to change the filter without the companies knowing it is much higher. So what they did in USA Freedom is to say the information and the filters stay with the companies, the government will let a contract for that, but then the government only gets the information that it says it really needs post-filter. And that's the kind of system that you should have under upstream so that you're not giving the government access to everyone's communications, but only those particular communications that the government is concerned about. And uh, just to be clear, that would only affect communications of foreigners that are held by U.S. companies. Because when it's a wholly foreign communication, when it's a foreign telephone company, foreign customers, that's under a different authority. That's under Executive Order 12333, correct? Exactly. So whereas the USA Freedom Act um, protects Americans from indiscriminate bulk collection, your proposal would protect foreigners from indiscriminate bulk collection if it is information held by U.S. companies. Then there's this 12333 question, which is another quagmire that many privacy advocates say is necessary to protect cross-border data flows and protect American companies from being put at a competitive disadvantage. And um, your proposal, just to be clear, doesn't cover that third one because that is more of a That's something that might have to be done at the executive level, not in Congress. So one of the things the proposal would do is that communications that are currently collected under 12333, so that's foreign to foreign off of U.S. soil, if those communications are in the custody of an American company operating overseas, it would take them out of 12333 and put them in a 702-like process. Given the global dominance of American technology companies, it would provide an extra layer of oversight and protection for people who are choosing to use American technology abroad. Now, that what that would mean is that companies like Huawei and Deutsche Telekom, those communications would be completely unprotected under 12333. But if you were using Verizon or Gmail or Facebook, you would have additional layers of protection, which would be court scrutiny, 
these inspector general reports, congressional oversight over those communications, even when they were foreign to foreign. So it's a way of trying to address the 12333 concerns because there is an American entity in that mix, and that's the American company that is holding or processing that data. Um, and so, and one of the advantages for the intelligence community is that when we're talking about the internet backbone, when we're talking about the transport layer, we're talking about American companies who own a and deal with a lot of that. And the way that internet communications are dispersed, you see a large percentage of global traffic flowing across US infrastructure, even if it's not necessarily um, US communications. So this paper's been out for a little while, and your proposals have been available mm -hmm. for lawmakers and policymakers. Um, have you gotten a positive response? Where do you see these recommendations going? So I think Congress is in the early stages of considering what they're going to do to reform 702. Um, we're seeing the first hearing coming, I think, next week in Senate Judiciary on this, which where they're really engaged these questions. Um, I've had a lot of people reading through the paper. It's a little long, so it may take them a while to digest it. Um, but I think that there are a lot of pieces to it that people will find useful. Um, there's a third recommendation in there, which I think is really important, especially when we're talking about Privacy Shield, which is the establishment of a NATO OECD working group on surveillance norms, because what happened post-Snowden is that everyone said, oh my god, what is the US government doing? What are they doing with our data? Without much scrutiny on what European governments themselves are doing. And we see attempts in France and in the UK to get access to source code, massive CCTV coverage, right, access, all kinds of access that their intelligence services are asking for post-Paris, post-Brussels. We need to have a conversation globally about what's the right balance. And the place to start with that are countries that have similar interests in both security and in individual freedom, so and in the economic interest. So that's a conversation between basically Western nations, some countries in South America, and you capture most of those between the NATO and OECD membership. Well, that's it for today's show. My guest has been Mika Oyang, Vice President of the National Security Program at Third Way. Mika, thank you for joining me. Uh, the paper is out, and we will link to it in the show notes. And uh, at that link, there will be a shorter summary. So if uh, you don't want to read the entire thing, uh, the highlights will certainly be in that. Um, we're trying out new equipment this week, so let us know what you think uh, on Twitter at Tech Freedom or on Facebook.com slash Tech Freedom. If you're not on social media, email us at media at techfreedom.org. Let us know what you think of the show. Uh, you can find this podcast in the iTunes store or on your favorite podcast app. And thank you for listening. Tech Policy Podcast is produced and distributed by Tech Freedom, a nonpartisan nonprofit think tank in Washington, D.C. To learn more about our work, make a tax deductible donation, or find other episodes, find us online at techfreedom.org.